Thanks for checking out this message from River Valley Church in Boise, Idaho. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you. For more messages like this, make sure to check out our podcast. And for more content from River Valley, go to our website, rivervalleyboise.com. Enjoy this message. We're going to talk, start talking about uh, Abraham in Genesis. We're going to talk about him for a second. I was reading through a lot of commentaries and... Um, pretty much a unanimous consensus about Abraham, that that dude was a gangster, okay? I mean, he was, he was the hot ticket item when it comes to faith in the Old Testament, right? Dude gets called by God, hey, come out of the land where you've born and raised and where you live. Come and, come and uh, I'll give you something. He's like, cool, where are we going? I'll show you later. Okay, let's go. I'm going give to you, give you cool gifts. What are you going to give me? Oh, you'll see later down the road. Sweet, let's do it. And the dude hops up, and he, and he packs his caravan full of, you know, it wasn't that much, and he goes, and the dude falls uh, just backwards into, like, crazy, like, the guy makes a mistake and comes out with, like, this huge pile of riches out of it. And then he goes, and he, like, makes another mistake, and God, like, piles another big, fat pile of riches on top of it. And then he, he continues through this process, and he's like, these things are going pretty good for Abraham at this point. Dude is... Uh, famous, rich. Like, he's got, this, he's got the goods. But he's got this thing in his heart. He, he's missing an inheritance, like, or an inheritor, somebody to give it all to. What, what's the good of having this big, fat pile? If it's all going to go to, you know, Eliezer, my servant, I, I want a son, somebody I can give it to. And here's the cool, awesome, like, God piece. He comes along. God's pretty cool this way. And he's like, hey, I'm going to give you a son. He's like, that's, that's rich. I'm 100 years old. I'm Kevin, my wife is like 90. This isn't going to happen, right? And the, and the Lord's like, oh, you will. And, and, it, and it's interesting. He just laughs. He just laughs. Wow, man, God is so good to me. And it happens. And he's got this beautiful son, Isaac, that he loves. This beautiful son that represents all of the promises of God and all of the, just the, the lavish blessings of God poured over and over and over throughout this lifetime of journeying in the wilderness. And he's like, all the goods and all this, and then a son. Oh, God, you're too good to me. And then there's a night, an interesting night. God comes to him, says, Abraham. It's like, yeah, Lord, I love when you talk to me. Good <laughs> things happen when you talk to me. It's like, I want you to take your son. Yeah, the son, the son I love? Yes, your only son whom you love. Yeah, what do you want me to do? It's like, I want you to take him on a mountain. I want you to sacrifice him. Come again? <laughs> you just imagine, just imagine what that must have felt like, the weight of that moment. But we read something really interesting about Abraham. The next morning, he gets up early. He rises up early. Dude is a gangster. And he's like, I'm going to go, and God has called for a sacrifice, and I'm going to rise up early to give it to him. Because everything I have comes from the giver of the gift. And I don't love the gifts that he's given to me more than the giver of the gift. What is the priority of my heart? It can't be about the things that I receive, but about the person who's given it to me. And so he's, he's stirred up. He rises up early in the morning, and they, they go, and as they're, uh, you know, they get to close to the appointed place, and he tells us, his homies who are carrying all the baggage, he says, hey guys, cool out. The lad and I are going to go forward and we're going to worship. God calls it sacrifice. Abraham calls it worship. 
I'm going to take what I love and give it to the Lord. It's worship. Oh, man. Whew, gangster. I love this guy. So does the Lord, in case you're wondering. He doesn't know what the outcome is going to be. But Paul in the New Testament gives us some commentary. He says, hey, he had faith to believe, even though no one has, literally no one has ever seen this before. He believes, you know what? God will raise him from the dead, whatever it takes to accomplish the promises he's given me. God's not a liar. He's going to do what he said. I can trust God. I'm going to walk in this. And here's the thing. This is really cool. All of this is a test. The knife is up. Abraham's ready. He's proven his priorities. And God stops and says, hey, no, no, no. That's, I'm not really into child sacrifice. That's not my thing. Um, that's the, the pagan God's thing. But you were willing to give up everything that was important to you because you fear me above all the things. He says, hey, you passed the test, man. You have proven it. You don't fear anything. You don't fear losing the, the good things that you have. You don't fear losing your son. You don't fear uh, anything above me. I'm the highest priority. And I want to let you know this morning that what we prioritize proves what we love. And God tests that in our relationships with each other. Uh, I'm married to a beautiful woman. I love her very much, my wife Carrie and I. And we have been tested many times throughout our marriage. What do I prioritize? Do I love my wife more than I love my job? Do I love my wife more than I love um, my kids? More than I love my ambitions? The Lord has tested me several times in my walk with him. I remember... This is a funny story. This wasn't in the notes. Uh, I, was, I was in college, and I, and I had this crazy sickness. I just got, like, dog-dead sick with, like, this crazy flu. And I was having, like, this fever. And you know that's the best time to hear from God is when you're, like, on a, in a fever, and you're, like, twitching out on your bed, right? But he comes, and he, and he, and he starts asking me questions. I, I, and it's so vivid. The Lord hasn't spoken super clear to me, but maybe a couple of times in my life. This is so clear. This is, like, God is speaking to you right now. And he asked me a question. He says, Daryl, if I took away all of your possessions, would you still follow me? And I, looked, I was like, gosh, I'm a college student. I have like three bags of ramen and a guitar. So I'm like, I'm like, okay. I love my guitar. It's a Martin. It's a beautiful work of art. But Lord, I would, I would still follow you if you took away my guitar. And I was like, that's good. I was feeling pretty good. Oh, that's so good. And he says, look, Daryl, what if I took away your friendships? I was like, oh, that's a little harder. I really enjoy the people that are around me. I was like, but who else says the words of life? Okay, of course, Lord, you can take away all my friendships. I'll still follow you. Daryl, what about your family? I was like, you can have them. Oh, <laughs> I'll put them in. Take them, leave them, whatever. I'm following you, Jesus. And I'm feeling pretty good at this point, right? I'm feeling pretty good about myself and my relationship with the Lord. And I'm just like, yeah, this is going good. I love this conversation. And then he asked me, he says, Cyril, oh, yeah, Lord. And he's like, what if I keep you single? You can't do that. <laughs> and I'm, I'm flipping through the word. I'm like, you've got promises in here somewhere that I can grab onto. And you've got to do what you said. And you can't do that to me. And I don't want to be lonely, I can't, you can't leave me lonely? Oh, Lord, no. Mm. And it was truly a valley of decision moment for me. Am I going to follow a God who would leave me lonely? 
Is the gift more important than the giver of the gift? We've been talking for several months now about the kingdom of God. And we've been really digging into some of the spaces about what does kingdom culture look like? Who are we to be as citizens in the kingdom of heaven? And, and what does it look like when we think about the generosity of, of our God in heaven? And, and as citizens of that, how generous should we be? And we've talked about worship, going high on the mountain and, and, and exalting the, the king of the kingdom and what that looks like. And, and here we've been breaking down, and I, I love it. We're, we're so clever. The kingdom has come now because the kingdom is wrapped up in the person of Jesus, right? And so now we're talking about the peace and the hope and the love and the joy that comes. And it's, and it's the kingdom has come because the kingdom only comes when the king comes, right? That's right. And here we are, and we're, we're talking about this. We're talking about we're talking about the kingdom and what it looks like. And what, I, what we want to talk about this morning is the foundation. What is it all laid upon? And I'm going to tell you, the punch, I'm going to spoil her, okay? It's love. The beginning, the middle, the end of the story, it's all love. It's not just like a really important part of the, the, the picture. It is the picture. It's the love of God for us, the love that God has stirred up inside of us for him, the love he has stirred up one for another. It's love. We're going to talk for just a couple minutes about the priority that God places on love. Because love is, that's it. That's where he's all about. Love is the primary part of the being of God. It's really his very existence. 1 John 4.16 says, We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. That's a lot of words that start to sound like Dr. Seuss if you read it really quickly together. But, it's, but really, the, the, the gist of it is, is where love is, God is. And where you see a person filled with love, you see a person filled with the presence of God. It's also the natural outpouring of his character, the natural outpouring of the character of God. 1 John 4, 8, But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Simply put, love is what God does, and so do those who are like him. Love, I'm just going to, I'm banging through these. I mean, there are literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of scripture references, and we're going to look at every single one. But no, we're just going to look at a handful here, but I'm just, I'm just going to, I'm just going to clip right through these. I mean, it really is over and over again through the New Testament. He just reiterates again and again, love is the source of all forgiveness that issues forth from our, our good, good father, the fundamental characteristic of his son, Jesus. First John 4.10, this is real love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Another translation says that, that Jesus became the propitiation for our sins. And if you want a bonus sermon, we'll have that afterwards. You can come and ask me, and I'll tell you all about what that, that crazy word propitiation means. But in other words, God is the initiator of the love, including the love that we have for God. Did you know that the highest law, we're, we're talking about a kingdom, right? Kingdoms have laws, right? The highest law in the kingdom of God, what is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. All the other laws are subservient and submissive to that law first. Oh, don't work on the Sabbath. Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? You betcha. 
Yeah, you better. You see a guy falling in a pit? I'm sorry, it would be work to lift you out. This is the trap the Pharisees fell into. The man's got a withered hand at the temple. Jesus comes by and he's like, they're like, we're going to catch him. He's going to heal on the Sabbath. We got him now. That's, they talk with Southern accents like that. And so he, he's, like, he's like, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? Yeah, the highest law is love. And this man needs my love right now. So reach out your hand. And he reaches it out and it's healed. And the Pharisees are troubled. And they're like, and, and he's like, you get out of here. You don't even understand the law. Why can David eat the showbread when he's in the wilderness and he comes to the, the, you know, the temple? And they're like, oh, yeah, well, the showbread's reserved for the priests. And like, it's, he's not a priest. Like, but he's hungry. A man is hungry in front of you. Is it lawful to feed a hungry man? You betcha. Give him the showbread. The law of love is the highest law in the kingdom of God. It's the very foundation of salvation. And I'm going to read you a verse you've heard before, but I want you to really let this simmer in your soul. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Love is the greatest gift that he's ever given to the church. We have prophecy, we have healings, we have miracles, we have uh, spoken words, we have words of knowledge, we have all of these things, speaking in tongues. It's worthless without love. 1 Corinthians 13.8, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. It's going to happen. But love will last forever. Another translation says, love never fails. Everything else will fail. And so when you think about God and his kingdom, he's established love as the pinnacle, the highest of the priorities in all different avenues, in all different ways. And so it's no surprise to me that when I look in the past and I look back and I say, how do we know that God loves us? If that's his highest priority, how do we know God loves us? He actually did a thing to make it clear in the past that he loves us. God chose to give his love to us. And the way that that looks is he gives his son. Away in a manger, no No, I'm not going to sing Christmas carols. Let's all stand and sing. No, uh, this is the moment. This is why we, we spend this time. We, we get really, really excited about Christmas. I don't know if you've noticed. The church has been excited about Christmas for a very long time. <laughs> it's not about the lights. It's not about the wreaths. It's not about the dried oranges. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm still trying to figure out what these things are about, Tim. <laughs> But the, the dried oranges, the decorations, it's not about any of that. It's really about the coming of Jesus. Because when the Lamb of God was laid in a manger, God was demonstrating his priorities. You're in, you're in a fallen world. You've been hit with the sting of sin. Death is on the line for you, like it's coming. And you're going to be separated from God for eternity. He says, that's not my priority, Is not Staying far away from that, my priority is to save you. My priority is to demonstrate my love for you, to, to bring you into my kingdom, yeah, yeah. to make you a citizen yeah. in my kingdom. But giving that love means giving himself. God became a man and dwelt among us. And he knew what the outcome would be. He knew there was a hill to walk up, just like Father Abraham walks up with Isaac, his son. He knows he's going to the hill, and he knows, he knows no one is going to call out 
When the knife is up, no one's going to say, hold on, don't do it. The knife is plunging. Three gifts are brought to Jesus. Three gifts that are just mind-blowing. One is gold. Gold is a gift you would give a king, right? Let's give, let's give honor to him. Frankincense is, is just a beautiful smell. It's just for his pleasure. Gold for your honor. Frankincense for your pleasure. And myrrh, myrrh is what you bury people with. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I hope you don't need this too soon, but just in case, here's some myrrh. From the very beginning, God knew what he was doing. The wise men knew what God was doing too. They saw his plan. They said, this is crazy, but we're bringing the myrrh. When God wanted to prove his priorities and his love, he came directly because he is love. And love came to earth to dwell here with us. And love knew that it had to sacrifice itself in order to set us free from sin and to give us the chance to live. And when love came, the kingdom came. Jesus said it like a hundred times. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's at hand. That's a fancy way of saying it's right here. Close as my hand is to me. It's right here. The kingdom is here. And why is the kingdom here? Because I'm here. Jesus came. He lived 33 and a half years on this earth. He died. He rose again, hung out for another 40 days or so, and then up to heaven. And the kingdom left with him. No, wait, that's not right. No, no. Why? Where's the kingdom today? This is the question I think I've been troubled with before. Christ came, he brought the love, he brought the kingdom, but then he left. And I think the disciples were troubled by that too. They were really bummed out. They're like, why are you going? He's like, because he said it over and over again, I'm going and you can't come with me. And he's like, well, that doesn't make sense. You're the king. Can't have a kingdom without the king. He says, check this out. He says, it's better if I go, because if I go, I can send to you the helper, the Holy Spirit. And now I won't just demonstrate my love externally. I won't just demonstrate something that you can feel and you can touch, but I will actually come into you and you will get to be an extension of the love of God to the world where we live. Not only am I going to show you love, you will get to be a part of love. That's pretty cool. Somebody give an amen. If Jesus hadn't left, he wouldn't have been able to send the Spirit. And when he left, he did send the Spirit. And here we are, and we, I think it's hard because I, I think we've got a lot of ideas of what the kingdom is going to look like. And we've been, t- we've been trying to clear up some of that for the last few months. And we, we think about things like miracles, and we think about things like healings, and we think, really, that's where the kingdom's at. And that, that shows that the power of God is present. But the kingdom showing up is really when love shows up, right? We don't put our hope in miracles. We don't put our hope, and we rejoice in them. We're grateful when they happen. We're super grateful when God moves and he saves and he works powerfully. But no one was ever saved by miracles. Miracles were done all throughout the wilderness. The children of Israel were going through the wandering and all that, right? I mean, miracle after miracle. Like, there's an army of dead Egyptians in, in a body of water. There's um, the deliverance from Egypt in the first place. You've got miracle after miracle and plagues. Man, those, those Egyptians, they had a lot of stamina for plagues. They just kept putting up with it and putting up with it and putting up with it. God delivered them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, right? And he brings them out of the land, and then they get out there, and they're like, we got no food. And he's like, I'll give you heaven, heaven food, manna, 
bread from heaven miraculously appearing on the ground. It's like, we're sick of manna. Give us something else. He's like, all right, here's flocks of birds to eat. And one miracle after the other. We're thirsty. Here's water out of a rock. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. And what was the fruit of that? A generation of dead bodies in the wilderness. Ooh. They couldn't see God's love. They couldn't see his hand, and they complained. And it cost them a generation. When the, when the day of Pentecost came, we have a mighty rushing wind. We have people speaking in tongues. And everyone gathers up, and they, what did they say? They must be drunk, right? It's when the word of love comes from the mouth of Peter. And he says, God, that we're not drunk, but we're filled with the Spirit. And it, here's the thing. That Spirit of God wants you to know that God died for you. Jesus died for you, and he loves you. And then when the word of love came, 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 new citizens in the kingdom of heaven. We don't look for, we, we, we don't look for uh, miracles to build the foundation. We don't look for healings to build the foundation. We look for love to build the foundation. And as we're demonstrating God's love, those healings are going to happen. There's going to be miracles, and we expect those things from God. But it's not the, we've got to put the cart before the horse, or not put the cart before the horse. The horse comes first, and love is first. Love is preeminent. We need to love one another. We need to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And this is what God wants to do in the world where we live. As he's building his kingdom now, he wants to use me, he wants to use you, because he loves us and he wants us to be a part of his good plan. But listen, I think you need to know this. The world, the world feels God's touch through our hands. It sees his goodness in our kindness and charity. And so the Spirit of God has come and has filled us up. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's love. And there's joy and there's peace and there's goodness and there's long-suffering and there's self-control. And those things are outworkings of love, but primarily it's love. And so when we have the, the Spirit of God inside of us, we don't have to like, oh, I'm going to work on love. I'm going to make love happen. No, it's a fruit that grows like a tree. Like, right? Like, think about this for a second. Anybody have any trees that grow fruit? You, you don't have to go out there and be like, you need to grow some more fruit. You just feed it, cultivate, and then what comes out? The fruit comes out, right? That's the Spirit of God in our hearts and our lives. And what's going to come out of a man who's filled with the Holy Spirit? Naturally, love is going to come out of him. A woman who's filled with the Spirit of God, naturally, love is going to come out of her. And that's what God wants to use to build his kingdom. This is what God has used from the beginning. He proved his love in the past. It's immutable. It's unchangeable. It's an event that happened. No one can go back in time. We do not have time machines. I don't care how many like, sci-fi movies, they can't even get it consistent. It doesn't work. No one's going back in time and un- unsaving us from our sins. Jesus died. He rose again. It's a thing. It's immutable. It happened. And now another thing has happened. God has sent his spirit today to use me and to use you to bring his kingdom into the world where we live. I just want to spend a minute and talk about the cost of missing the point. We can't miss this. This is super important. The most important thing, we kind of talked about this. This is the top. This is all that matters to God is love. There's a, uh, a couple of cool chapters at the beginning of Revelation. Chapters 2 and 3. He writes seven letters, seven churches. And in those letters, he has things he's encouraging. He says, you're doing a great job at this. And you're kind of messing up at that. And you, you're doing good, and you need to fix this. And he just starts giving some encouragement, some exhortation, some, some teaching moments from Christ himself to the early churches. And, and it's interesting because there's seven of them, 
And one of them has an interesting thing. Only one of them has this threat that's given to them. He says, if you do not repent and do the things that I've told you to do, I'm going to remove your lampstand from my presence. In other words, I'm translating this because I'm not going to get into all the theology of the lampstands and all that stuff. Yeah, let's just begin Revelation right now and just go through that. But, but basically what he's saying is you will not be considered a church any longer if you do not get this right. And the accusation, the thing that he had against them is that they had forgotten their first love. You've forgotten love. You are great with the word. You don't put up with false teachers. You're doing really good at all the, you do good works all the time. That's fantastic. You've forgotten love. If you don't straighten this out, I can't, I, you're not a church if you don't love. And so here we are, and it's like, I'm not trying to be like this heavy message, you guys need to learn how to love. No, it, it just, it's about priority. What is the priority that we have? God's priority is love. And if we're going to say that we're his followers, our priority needs to be love. What does that look like? I mean, like practically. It doesn't have to look like, I, I, don't, I don't know, like, okay, all of you sell everything you ever had and, and give it to the church. That's not it. But like, hey, maybe you know somebody who's hurting and you take the time out of your day, say, I'm busy, but you know what? I'm going to slow my roll and I'm going to talk to this person. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to bring Jesus into that difficult hurt that they have. I'm going to take the time in my personal day to, to set aside and just talk and walk with the Lord and prioritize him for the day. You've seen all the episodes of Star Trek. It's okay. It's reruns now. Like, just go and pray. Spend some time with the Lord. I might be preaching to myself a little bit there, but like, that's, that's the truth. Like, God is always waiting and waiting, and he just loves to spend time with us. Will we prioritize our time for him? Will we prioritize our time for our neighbor, for our coworker, for our family member? It's just about putting them at a higher priority than the things we desire for ourselves. It's not like some mystical, magical, I need love. <laughs> it's just about putting others first. I don't know. I, I'm kind of a little off the, the notes here a little bit. I, I just think that there's, I think there's one thing that I, I, the Lord's really been stirring me all week is that he really wants us to know that he has loved us that he's using us to love and loves us today. And he wants us to know that he has a plan for us for the future. I was really just digging into that space of what God has in mind for us to come. And I want to share that with you. And I'm pretty passionate about this. So if I get a little preachy, then just go along with it. <laughs> we read at the end of the book, God gives us a whopping two chapters. Two chapters on what how everything wraps up all the, okay, I'm, he's going to judge the sinners. He's going to put away the old heavens, the old earth. He's going to make a new heaven, a new earth. And he's like, and then we're, and then we'll be together with the Lord forever. I'm like, okay. And what does that mean? You'll see. Kind of like Abraham back at the beginning. Remember, come with me and I'll show you something. And that's kind of what he's done. He's given us really, I've only found one clue. And it's in Ephesians chapter 2, and I'll read this to you, verses 4 through 7. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places 
in Christ Jesus. And catch this. This is the ticket right here. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The plan that God has for you and for me, for all the endless ages of eternity, is to show us his goodness over and over and over again through one act of kindness after another. To demonstrate his grace again and again and again and again. And when we think we've got it all figured out and 100,000 years have gone by of just him pouring grace and grace and kindness and kindness, he's going to turn us a little to the left and we're going to see, oh my gosh, there's a whole other avenue of your goodness I've never even considered before. And he's going to show us that again and again and again and again. And I was thinking about this and it kind of blew my mind. Right around the throne of God right now in the heavenly places, there are angels that are designed by God with like a million eyeballs. And it's the craziest thing and that you're wondering what this has to do. It has a lot to do with what we're talking about right now, I promise. A million eyeballs and they are right next to the throne of God. And so all they can do is see stuff. And what do they see? They see God in all of his glory. And they are compelled, not, not forced to, but compelled to by what they see. They say, holy, 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 Lord God almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when they finish their song, they turn a little to the left and all their eyeballs catch another spl- part of the splendor and glory of God. And they do it again. Holy, holy, holy. And they've been doing this since the beginning. And they'll be doing it till forever. Because every time they see God, that's all they see. Now I was thinking about this. Think about this. How many eyes did God make me with and you with? Two eyes. Why? He wants to parade one thing at a time. Have us look at it, understand it. That is really cool, God. And he's going to move that to the side. Here's the next thing. We don't see it all at once, and that's what eternity is. I heard, I think it was Hitchens, a famous atheist guy, who was saying, oh, heaven's boring. Who wants to go and get it whatever you want? And I think that that's what we've mistakenly thought. Heaven is getting whatever you want forever and ever. That would be horrible. Who wants any of that? But how about getting whatever God wants forever and ever, day after day after day, time without end? That's something to get excited about. And you know what that stirs up in me when I think about the love that he's shown me in the past and the love that he's showing right now? I look in the future and all he has for me is love again and again and again and again and again. And I sign me up for that. You can keep the streets of gold. I don't care one whit about the streets of gold. But sign me up for the endless ages of eternity, God pouring out his riches of his grace through me through acts of kindness. Whew. Sorry. I'm just going to. Mm. That's what God has in store for you too. God loves you so much. And whatever you think he loves you, it's more than that exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can think to even ask him for. He loves you beyond that. I have a crazy imagination. I can imagine a lot of stuff. And God's like, that's child's play. My imagination is going to rule the day in eternity. And I have imagined unbelievable things for you. He loves you so much. He loves us so much. And he wants us to love too. He's come into us so that that love can come out through us the world where we live. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the great love that you have shown to each one of us. Your son that you sent, you didn't withhold your own son. You've shown your priority. Your priority is relationship with humanity. 
And Father, you've sent your spirit, you've demonstrated that you want to build your kingdom today through love, through your people. And Lord, we have a glorious hope, Lord, something to really rejoice about down the road, looking forward to what you're going to pour out on us for all of eternity. Father, I just want to pray right now that your spirit of love would come upon each one of us. Father, I want to pray for anybody in this room right now that doesn't feel particularly loved. Anyone in this room who doesn't really feel like they've been good enough or done enough or said enough to be able to receive the love that you have for them. I right now, I just want to pray that you would pierce right through that. Lord, what you've done has demonstrated love already. There's nothing else for us to do. So please, Lord, just pierce the hearts of the people who are resistant to understanding that love. I just pray that you would just, uh, just wash over this room like a flood with your love. And fill us with your spirit, Lord, so we can go out of this place and bring your love to the world around us. We love you and we thank you, Lord, because you've loved us first. We love you now. I just pray right now for your blessing on each one of these people to understand your love, to walk in your love, and to just be enraptured in your love this week and for always. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this message. Do you know someone who'd be blessed by it? Make sure to share it with them this week.